0: Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. You know, I've been your pastor uh, before years, uh, March 1st, so it's coming up on that. And I'm thankful for that. And uh, the weekend that I was supposed to be up here, Randy, you remember this. The, the, the weekend that I was supposed to be up here four years ago to come and before I was your pastor, to come and do that in view of a call so y'all could check me out and I could check y'all out. You know, that weekend that I was supposed to be here to do that, something uh, happened in my life that was an incredibly difficult moment for a lot of us. And the Friday morning of the weekend that I was supposed to come in view of a call here, Dwayne, you remember it too. Uh, My best friend... In country, at Country Woods, the church I was pastoring down in Byram, my best friend, who was actually the chairman of deacons at that time for Country Woods, about 4:30 in the morning, got up. His name was Steve Biggs, and he worked up here at Nissan, lived in Byram, so he'd have to get up early, he had to be at work like at six o'clock in the morning, so he'd leave Byram early in the morning, and he got up early that morning about 4:30, walked into the kitchen to fix his coffee, and dropped dead, uh, just hit the floor. And uh, Steve, I believe, at that time was 54 years old. And unbelievable, I mean, just a, I mean, I got the call that morning about seven o'clock, and went over to his house and found him. And uh, after the 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 shock, not, it didn't not after the shock wore off because I was still in shock. I walked out and stood in Steve's driveway on that beautiful morning, and I called Randy Cotton I said, Randy. Chairman of the Pastor Search Team, I said, Randy, I can't come. I can't come up there this weekend. He said, You're right, John. Thank you, brother. He said, You're right. You got to stay with your people there. And uh, so I did, and then came on up and preached the Disciple Now uh, for Dwayne He had already invited me to come preach the Disciple Now that week uh, that year. Anyway, uh, why are you telling this story, John? Trying to pluck on our heartstrings? What are you doing? Let me tell you about, a little bit about Steve Biggs. Steve Biggs was a prolific note-taker uh, on my sermons. Now, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, did I say stuff worth taking notes on? I'm just saying that's, that was one of his spiritual disciplines. Prolific note-taker. He, he kept journals, uh, spiritual journals, personal journals. Had done it for years. In fact, one time I got called over to his house. Uh, Missy, his wife, called me and said, would you go check on Steve? That's right in the middle of the week one time. Uh, said he fell through the ceiling and uh, I think he need to go check on him. And so I went over to his house, and he was sitting outside. He had gone up into the attic to look for an old spiritual journal from his days back at uh, uh, Calvary Baptist Church in Jackson. That's where he went to church years when Doctor Tootin was the pastor there. Went to find a spiritual journal that he had written way back then, and fell through the ceiling of his uh, garage, face first. Hit the. Uh, it's a miracle he survived that. And uh, but anyway, the anniversary of his. Uh, death was recent, just uh, last week, January 24th, same day as my daughter's birthday. And uh, uh, Missy was going through some stuff at her house and she sent me a screenshot. She said, hey, I found this. And it was a picture of a page out of his spiritual journal. And it was a sermon that I had written, I had preached at Country Woods on October the 8th of 2017. And the title of the sermon, it was on Third John. The title of the sermon was An Encouragement to a Dear Friend. And these were the, what, he, what he wrote in his journal, uh, my points of my sermon. Uh, Our faith is an each other faith. Kind of what we were praying about today. Our faith is a, an each other faith. And here are the each other statements that you find in 3 John. We're to love each other. We pray for each other. We rejoice with each other. We support each other. We correct each other. We encourage each other. And we want to be with each other in fellowship. And so that was a sermon that day. And, so, um, and then I the, flipped over on the back and he wrote this on the back. He wrote some notes about prayer. And I'm not sure if it was in my sermon at that, at that same day or if it was some, another time or something I was talking about prayer. But this is what, I, what he had wrote down that I said about prayer. We need to renew our commitment to prayer. Write down prayer needs and write their names down. Realize it doesn't matter that we do not know them and their situation. Respond immediately when someone needs prayer. And remember, it's one of the most important things we do as Christians. And then he finished with these two words that he had underlined two times. He finished with these two words. Don't stop. He underlined them twice and put an exclamation uh, point at the end of them. Those two words. Don't stop. So it's a challenge that I issued to Countrywoods Baptist Church back then. It's a challenge that I've been issuing to you, my church family now, First Baptist Church of Flora, a challenge I've been issuing to you, this that I believe the Lord has been issuing to us this month as we start 2024. And it's a challenge that every Christ follower has been issued from the Word of God. This isn't just some... Little sermon series that preacher came up came up with when he was up there in North Carolina. This is from the Word of God. The challenge has been issued to every Christ follower, members of who every Christ follower that's a member of any church anywhere. The challenge is that we do not stop. Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't stop. Don't stop. It reminds me of a. Uh, entry from John Wesley's diary back in the mid to late 1700s. John Wesley, the, one of the founders of the Methodist uh, Church, uh, very, mover and shaker in the 1700s, 1800s of, uh, for the Christian faith. Tremendous evangelist. Here's some entries from John Wesley's diary. Listen to this. Sunday morning, May the 5th preached at St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. (laughs) Sunday night, May the 5th, preached at St. John's. The deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May the 12th, preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday morning, May the 19th, preached at St. somebody else's. Deacons called a special meeting and said, I couldn't return. Sunday evening, May the 19th, preached on the street, kicked off the street. Sunday morning, May the 26th, preached in a meadow, chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. Sunday morning, June the 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday evening, June the 2nd, that afternoon, preached in a pasture and 10,000 people came out to hear me. Aren't you glad he didn't stop when some stupid deacons told him to get out and stay out? Can you say stupid deacons in a in a church service? (laughs) Aren't you thankful he didn't stop? Grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 1 through 7 is page 995. If you don't have a copy of God's word with you, I hope you got your own Bible with you, but if you don't, grab a pew Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Paul is writing to his young son in the ministry, Timothy, who was the pastor of the Ephesus church. Timothy was probably in his mid 20s when he was pastor in that church. Paul said to him, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will, be, who will be able to teach others also. Verse 3, share in suffering. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, but his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete... Is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. So Father, I ask you right now that you will do what Paul just said and that you will give us understanding in everything today. Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. Second Timothy is Paul's last recorded words uh, shortly before he was most likely beheaded by the Emperor Nero sometime probably around A.D. 64. Now we don't have that in the Bible, but secular history uh, and other biblical historians say that that's probably how, when and how Paul lost his life. That Emperor Nero had him beheaded around 64 A.D., Probably close to the same time that Peter was uh, executed for his faith as well. Peter, as you may remember, the historians tell us that Peter, they wanted to crucify Peter. And Peter said, well, you can crucify me, but you got to crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner that my Savior was crucified. And so Paul was beheaded for the faith, gave his life uh, for the gospel, literally. And um, so he writes this, this is his last letter, and in this letter, multiple times you hear Paul saying to this young, 20, mid-20s, 24, 25, 26-year-old young pastor like my son, like uh, Drake Nelson that preached here last Sunday uh, in the refuge service and preached our D now, pastor up at Blackjack Baptist Church. Young guys like that. My son this is the high school pastor at First Baptist Ridgeland. Uh, that's who Paul's talking to here. And over and over in this letter, he challenges Timothy with different words, but basically saying to Timothy, don't stop, don't stop. Preach the word in season and out of season. That means don't stop, whether it's good times or bad times, whether things are favorable or things are not favorable, don't you stop preaching the word. And so over and over, we see Paul saying that to Timothy. Right there in verse 1, he even says there in verse 1 again, he says, So Timothy, my child, you see the tenderness in his interaction with his, uh, his protege, uh, the, this young man that he's discipling. My child, be strengthened, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying to Timothy, man, the only way that you're going to make it as a pastor, and I can attest to this too, is that you will be strengthened by the grace of Jesus. Because you ain't got no strength in your, own, uh, in your own strength. You don't have near enough strength. You do not have the strength to be able to do this apart from the grace of Christ Jesus. So be strengthened in that. It is Christ in us that gives us the strength to be able to do that which he has called us to. And so Paul's saying to Timothy, be strong in the grace of Christ. Paul said over in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, he said, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. <laughs> There's a whole sermon right there. Maybe that's going to be Father's Day. But he said, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Just those words of challenge and encouragement to keep on going. I mentioned it as I was praying, mentioned it as I was talking to you. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Not be strong in yourself, not be strong in your seminary degrees, not be strong in the size of your church. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. God knows that we need His strength and he, we need his strength in order for us not to stop. Because if, if our Christian life depended on, our, on us and on our strength, most of us would tap out as soon as the going got rough. And it gets rough sometimes. But we don't stop because we have his strength. So church, be strengthened in the grace of Christ Jesus. And then verse two is a verse, I hope when I read that verse, you thought I've heard Brother John say that verse before. Well, you've heard it before because we talked about it even over the course of this sermon series, 2 Timothy 2.2, the classic definition of discipleship in the New Testament, actually preached that verse like right at a year ago uh, January 23rd of 23, if you take notes, some people write when I preach uh, different sermons. So you may have that in the margin of your Bible. I preached it a year ago. That verse was my sermon text for that sermon. And it's so important for us to understand understand 2 Timothy 2.2. The things that you have heard from me, you then entrust to faithful people who will then teach other people. That's discipleship. It's the foundation It's the foundation of what we do, and the foundation of discipleship is the gospel. That you know that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and life. Michael mentioned that in his, in talking about the verse of our memory verse. You will know the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And the foundation is the gospel. The foundation for discipleship is the gospel, its framework is relationships. The things you've heard from me. That means you got a relationship with somebody that hears you teaching them, sharing with them, showing them the truth of Scripture. There's a relationship there. Then you take that and the relationships you have, you go give it to other people. It's the framework for discipleship is relationship and its fruit. The fruit of discipleship is disciples reproducing disciples. It's, 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 it's not a program. It's a process. It's a process. It's a process of knowing the gospel, a process of living out the gospel, a process of sharing the gospel, of teaching others the gospel, and then repeating that over and over and over again as long as we have breath and are able to do that. It means that we will be making much of Jesus from the moment of our spiritual birth to the moment we take our final breath. That's what discipleship is. So the application for this message is that discipleship means being committed to making much of Jesus for a lifetime. A lifetime. In other words, we can't stop. How many of y'all are breathing right now? Raise your hand if you're breathing right now. Okay, that means you can't stop. That means you're you're still in the game right now. You can't stop. For a lifetime. We cannot stop. We must not stop. We will not stop. Why? There are three reasons why we cannot stop. First of all, stopping leads to displeasure. Stopping leads to displeasure. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You know, the military is known for having its own unique language. Some of you military folks can attest to that. There's so many abbreviations, so many acronyms that are used in military lingo. and, and, And one of the abbreviations that is used in the different branches of military is M.O.S. M.O.S. How many of you military guys know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you know what M.O.S. is. All right. M.O.S. It's an abbreviation for these three words. uh, Military Occupational Specialty. Military Occupational Specialty. Basically, what that is, is that's what you do. That's your job when you're in the military. That is your MOS. It is the job that you are going to do, your specialty, your occupational specialty while you are in the military. Some of the guys in our church that have served in the military, uh, George Shepard served in the United States Air Force, and his MOS was communications in the Strategic Air Command. Uh, Tom McClellan served in the Air Force as well. His MOS was Navigator Bombardier Strategic in a B-52 bomber and also in the B-111 bomber. Tom Hawk, United States Marine Corps. His MOS was a field radio operator and forward observer for a 105 howitzer battery. Donnie Burgess also served in the Marines. His MOS was also as a field radio operator, Dante Fontenot served in the United States Army. He had multiple MOS, and one of was when he was enlisted, was aircraft armament mechanic. Then he became a warrant officer, Black Hawk pilot, and aviation officer XO, which means he was second in command. And I know there are other guys and people in here who have served in military. And you could share your MOS. But I want to say that we're grateful. Amen. We're grateful for everybody that has served in our military serving now. But I will tell you something. If any of those, if any of those people that I just mentioned just decided on a whim that they were just going to stop doing their MOS. I just don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to answer that radio. I don't want to fly that helicopter or that bomber. I don't want to do it. And they just decided, I'm just not going to do my job. I have not been in the military, but I would venture to say that they would have surely incurred the extreme displeasure of their commanding officers. Am I right, military people, that your commanding officer would not be very happy with you if you just said, I'm not going to do my job anymore. There would be extreme displeasure facing serious consequences all the way up to court-martialing if they just decided that they're not going to do that. The dereliction of their duties would be a horrible decision to make because as Paul said in in verse 4, the aim of someone who is serving in the military is to, quote, please the one who enlisted them. So when we stop When we decide, I'm just not going to make much of Jesus. I'm just not going to make disciples. And we just decide, I'm not going to do my job anymore. We will experience the displeasure of our Savior. Now, that doesn't mean that he stops loving us. but because he does love us he disciplines us when we offend him by disobeying him and discontinuing our walk with him you know the, the word of god is clear that we can grieve the holy spirit of god we can break god's heart i don't think there's anybody in here Quiet, any of y'all want to break God's heart? Any of y'all want to do that? No, there's nobody in here that wants to break God's heart. But you and I displease him and break his heart when we just say, I'm not going to do it. I know that's what it says. I know what my MOS is. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I just ain't going to do it. When you stop, it leads to displeasure. Verse 3 says it's so easy for us to get entangled in civilian pursuits. In other words, what that means is that means we lose our focus. We get more involved in the everyday stuff, the day-to-day living that is not necessarily inherently sinful, but we just get so busy. We just get stuff going on. We get so entangled in just day-to-day living that we stop living for the Lord. But then you can take it a step further, and sometimes we get entangled in sin, and that certainly leads to us incurring the displeasure of our Savior. I don't know about you, but I think, well, I think I do know about you. At least most of you, I believe, don't want to displease Jesus. I don't want to displease Him, and I don't think you do either. That means in order for us not to displease Him, that means we must not stop making much of Jesus, and we must not stop making disciples. Because stopping leads to displeasure. That's another reason stopping leads to disqualification. Verse 5 tells us that. talks about the athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Mark Phillips, back here in the choir, Mark has been a football referee, a football official for 21 years now. Been out there on the field, uh, running up and down the field, throwing that flag, doing the thing. And so I texted him as I was working on my sermon, and I texted him and I said, hey bro, y'all know that's how I start all my, ser- uh, all my texts, if you ever got a text, if you're a bro. And I don't do that with the women, but uh, most of you guys, hey bro. I, says, I said, what happens? What happens if a football player shoves or hits an official, immediately got a text back from him, and this was his answer. Bye-bye. That was his answer. <laughs> He's disqualified. When he says, when he just says I'm not gonna, I know what the rule is, I'm not supposed to shove that guy, I ain't supposed to hit that guy, but I didn't agree with the call he just made. And he has the authority. said, you're out, bro. Get off the field. Get out of here. Go to the locker room. You are done. Why? Because the kid was not playing according to the rules. Not playing according to the rules. And there are rules that we live by as Christ followers. Now, usually when I say that, we start thinking about the Ten Commandments. Well, those are some good ones. But I want to say something. We, we don't obey the rules in order to be saved. We're not saved by keeping the rules, because let me tell you something. You can't keep the only way you could do that. The only way you could be saved by keeping the rules was if you kept every one of them perfectly for your entire life. And some of us have broken some of those rules before we even got to church this morning. So if if we were saved according to the rules, we'd be in trouble. We're only saved. We're saved by. By about faith in Jesus through the grace of Jesus, but we are called when we are saved back to the first sermon in the series born once is not enough when we are born again, then we are born into relationship with Christ and, and for the rest of our lives. We live in obedience to the Lord Jesus. Every time I talk to somebody who comes through these baptismal waters, and we got folks already lined up this year to come to be baptized, before they ever come, I tell them, I said, Look, this is just one step of a lifetime now of obedience that you're called to live. Not so you will be saved, but because you are saved now. And so we live according to the rules. We are called to live an obedient life. And when we stop living that obedient life, which means we sin, that will lead to our spiritual decline, it leads to our spiritual de- de- uh, decay, and ultimately it leads to spiritual disqualification. Does not mean that you lose your salvation. But it means that you were disqualified in your walk with the Lord right now. That's a scary thing. Tony Evans has this to say about it and. He says all of his or her efforts are wasted. Talking about that person who's a Christ follower. All of his or her efforts are wasted unless he competes according to the rules. Talking about that athlete. That is, operates within biblical guidelines and does not yield to worldly pleasures. You cannot disobey God's word in pursuit of spiritual victory. To disregard God's boundaries is to disqualify yourself from receiving reward. When you just say, I'm not, I don't want to do this. I'm not going to do it, I'm going to live my life my way, I'm going to say what I want to say, I'm going to do what I want to do, I'm going to live the way I want to live, I don't care what that says, that's what I'm going to do, then my brother and my sister, you are disqualified. Those guidelines are there to keep us safe, to keep us pointed in the right direction. To keep us available, to be used by the Lord in any way that He needs to use us. And to go against those guidelines disqualifies us from all of those things. We deliberately... When we when we deliberately stop making much of Jesus and we stop making disciples, we will not lose our salvation, but we will lose out on so much joy and fulfillment and purpose and direction and meaning in our lives. We will be disqualified from all of those things. You won't have joy, you won't have purpose, you won't have meaning. When you get wrapped up in yourself and in your own pursuits, you won't have meaning and purpose and joy in your life. You'll be disqualified from all of those things. I don't wanna be disqualified. I don't wanna miss out on anything that God's got for me. Do you? I don't wanna miss out on any blessing that he wants to give to me. I don't wanna miss out on the joy and, and fulfillment and, and of passionately following Christ. Do you wanna miss out on those things? If you stop, you're disqualified. Finally, if you stopping leads to disaster. The last analogy that Paul use, uh, uses there is he uses the analogy of the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Verse 6. I don't know many people who work harder than farmers, and some of y'all are in farming, and you are some hard-working people. Grew up in the Delta and watched them and friends with a bunch of guys whose families were farming. Joe Cole, one of my best buddies up there, his family was a farming family, and Hard-working people, man, up early, back home late, working nonstop, and working nonstop between those two times. Getting up early and coming home late, working nonstop between those two times. And certain things have to be done at certain times, and all of those things that have to be done at certain times require a lot of hard work. Preparation, cultivation, planting, fertilizing, irrigating, harvesting, selling, storing. Even in our highly mechanized world with so much technology that's available now to farmers, it is still hard work no matter how you cut it. And for a farmer to stop at any stage of crop production, the results would be disastrous. For the farmers to say, I'm just not going to do this part of it. And sometimes the stoppage happens due to things that are out of our control. We've been through an incredibly hard drought season in our region. Louisiana is still in it right now. read something this past week. Some of you all already know this. If you don't know it and you're a crawfish person, I'm sorry for what I'm about to tell you. But crawfish this year are going to be $13 a pound because of the drought. Can't help that. Those crawfish farmers down there are doing the best they can, but they just can't help it. 13 bucks a pound. It was six, about six bucks last year. And folks were fussing last year. You can't help it, but there's no farmer in his right mind who would deliberately stop cultivating his fields or planting his crops or harvesting his crops. The results would be disastrous to so many people. It wouldn't just be that farm, it'd be his family, it'd be his customers, it would be the rest of us because we wouldn't have the benefit of the crops that he has harvested. If that farmer said, I'm going to stop at this point, the results would be disastrous. And the hard work of making much of Jesus and making disciples is is hard work. I'm not pulling any punches here over the course of this last month. Everything I preached to you this month month, requires hard work. It requires hard work. If you're going to disciple somebody, it requires hard work. You're going to have to make some sacrifices. You have to turn the TV off, some, You have to give up some personal time where you go spend some time with that person that you're discipling in their walk with the Lord. But to stop doing that leads to disaster. It leads to disaster. Think about it. If we stop making disciples, think about the results of that. That means that lost people will not hear about Jesus. And if they die without Christ, where do they go? Okay, there was an audience participation moment right there. I hope you know where lost people go if they die without Christ. Where do they go? They go to hell. So if you and I stop making disciples, then lost people don't hear about Jesus, and when lost people die without Christ, they go to hell. And that's on us. That's on us. That's disastrous. That is disastrous, eternally disastrous. That means if we stop doing it, this church stops growing spiritually. Man, God's doing some cool stuff in the life of this church. And I'm, I'm, I see people growing spiritually all over the place. Now, thank God for that. And we grow numerically. Man, we don't know where we're gonna put people. We, we talk about it all the time. Where are we gonna put all these people? It just, it's just incredible. But if we stop making disciples, we stop growing. Spiritually, numerically, the church stops growing. And, and the church suffers because we're being disobedient. It's not just so we'll have a big church so I can go brag to all my preacher buddies. I'm going to the state evangelism conference this evening over in Meridian. I'm not going to go over there and brag about my church. We make disciples because this is, that's what this tells us to do. And if we as a church ever stop doing that, we are being disobedient. And we will suffer disqualification as a church. I will not be the pastor of a church that suffers disqualification because we're not making disciples. That means, here's another result, young, immature believers will be taken out by the enemy. They will be decimated by the enemy because he's looking for those immature believers that don't know as much as you know about Jesus and about how to walk with Jesus, but you're keeping it to yourself, and because you're keeping it to yourself and you stop making disciples, that means those young, immature believers are gonna get chewed up and spit out by the enemy. He's gonna steal, kill, and destroy. He's a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, and he will devour them because you and I have said, I'm not gonna make disciples. You want that on your resume? I don't. But that's the result. That's disastrous. And their vulnerability could have been so much less. They would have been less vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy if some mature believer that's sitting in this room right now would have gone up to them and said, Hey, can can you and I start spending, can we start meeting together just once a week for about 30 minutes? Lord's laid you on my heart. And I just want us to get together once a week for about 30 minutes. We'll drink a cup of coffee or whatever. I just want to walk with you a little bit in your walk with the Lord. We can't stop. We can't stop. I did it again, didn't I? Of course, I've done it every Sunday for four years, so y'all are used to it, so... All right, let me finish up with this illustration. So think about a relay team that's running a race, three-person relay team. Gun goes off, first first leg, first person running the first leg, running like crazy. Makes a good pass, the baton, to the second person. They're running like crazy. They're doing great, too. They make a great pass to the third person, last leg. This is the one that's going to take it home, take it to the finish line. And that person gets the baton, they take a few steps, and they just stop, and they walk out into the middle of the field, and they sit down. And people go, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? Get up and run the race. I just don't want to run anymore. I don't feel like running today. I don't want to run anymore. Are you crazy? Man, the coach invested in you. The school is invested in you. Your teammates are counting on you. What are you doing just sitting here? I just don't want to run anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. Well, the problem is not only does that person lose the race, but the whole team loses the race because one person said, I ain't doing it anymore. Church, if you're the one person that says, I ain't doing it, we're all going to suffer. I want you to feel the weight of that. If you and I were sitting face-to-face, knee-to-knee, toe-to-toe right now, and I was talking to you about this very thing, I would say that to your face. If you decide, I ain't going to do this, this whole church will suffer. Feel the weight of that. And that's why, whatever you do, don't stop. Let's pray together. Help us, God. Help us now today. Lord, help us, God. We need you today. Help us to do what you're calling us to do. Be obedient to you in Jesus' name.